Hey, welcome into Positive Light. We're bringing a positive influence into this world and into your life. And hi, I'm Bob Miles. And uh, first of all, thank you for all the prayers. I'm still not out of the woods yet with my leg. It's still uh, pretty red and pretty sore and painful. So uh, we're going to do the best job we can today on the subject of leave the outcome to God. So don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. But the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. Matthew 6.34, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And Rick Warren writes, Let go and know God is in control. Every day decide who's going to be in control of your life, you or God. That choice is a battle because there are things in life you want to control. You want to make your own rules, but relief from the stress always starts with letting God be God. It always starts with saying, God, I'm giving up control because only you can control the things that are out of control in my life. The number one reason you're under stress is because you're trying to control things that only God can control. You can't control your spouse, your kids, your job, your future, or your past. When you try to play God, it puts you in opposition to God. Not only are you going to lose that conflict, but you're also going to be tired and stressed. Psalm 46.10 says, Let go of your concerns, then you will know that I am God. I rule the nations, I rule the earth. I don't know what you'll face this week. You don't know either. But I can already tell you what God wants you to do. Let go of control and trust that he is in control. Let go and know this is the first step to serenity. When people face out-of-control situations and feel stressed, we often go to one or two extremes. For some of you, the more out of control your life gets, the harder you try to control it. Others do the exact opposite. You just give up and have a pity party. Both of those reactions to stress are foolish. They don't work. Instead of being a victim or becoming hyper-controlling, you need to pray a prayer of surrender. Millions of people pray the serenity prayer, which is based on the Lord's Prayer, but most have never read the last eight lines of the prayer. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. That's where the power is. Power comes when you surrender to God anything you've been trying to control, and that will lead you to living a life of serenity. So next, I'd like to read you a story, and it's called One of the Most Special Christmas Stories Ever. And here it is. In September 1960, I woke up one morning with six hungry babies and just 75 cents in my pocket. Their father was gone. The boys ranged from three months to seven years. Their sister was two. Their dad had never been much more than a presence they feared. Whenever they heard his tires crunch on the gravel driveway, they would scramble to hide under their beds. He did manage to leave $15 a week to buy groceries. Now that he had decided to leave, there would be no more beatings, but no food either. 
If there was a welfare system in effect in southern Indiana at the time, I certainly knew nothing about it. I scrubbed the kids until they looked brand new and then put on my best homemade dress. I loaded them into the rusty old 51 Chevy and drove off to find a job. The seven of us went to every factory, store, and restaurant in our small town. No luck. The kids stayed crammed into the car and tried to be quiet while I tried to convince whoever would listen that I was willing to learn or do anything. I had to have a job. Still no luck. The last place we went to just a few miles out of town was an old root beer barrel drive-in that had been converted to a truck stop. It was called the Big Wheel. An old lady named Granny owned the place and she peeked out of the window from time to time to all those kids. She needed someone on the graveyard shift, 11 at night until 7 in the morning. She paid 65 cents an hour and I could start that night. I raced home and called the teenager down the street that babysat for people. I bargained with her to come and sleep on my sofa for a dollar a night. She could arrive with her pajamas on and the kids would already be asleep. This seemed like a good arrangement to her, so we made a deal. That night, when the little ones and I knelt to say our prayers, we all thanked God for finding Mommy a job. And so I started at the big wheel. When I got home in the morning, I woke the babysitter up and sent her home with $1 of my tip money, fully half of what I averaged every night. As the weeks went by, heating bills added a strain to my meager wage. The tires on the old Chevy had the consistency The tires on the old Chevy had the consistency of penny balloons and began to leak. I had to fill them with air on the way to work and again every morning before I could go home. One black fall morning, I dragged myself to the car to go home and found four tires in the back seat. New tires. There was no note, no nothing, just those beautiful brand new tires. Had angels taken up residence in Indiana? I wondered. I made a deal with the owner of the local service station. In exchange for his mounting the new tires, I would clean up his office. I remember it took me a lot longer to scrub his floor than it did for him to do the tires. I was now working six nights instead of five, and it still wasn't enough. Christmas was coming, and I knew there would be no money for toys for the kids. I found a can of red paint and started repairing and painting some old toys. Then I hid them in the basement so there would be something for Santa to deliver on Christmas morning. Clothes were a worry, too. I was sewing patches on top of patches on the boys' pants, and soon they would be too far gone to repair. On Christmas Eve, the usual customers were drinking coffee in the Big Wheel. These were the truckers, Les, Frank, and Jim, and a state trooper named Joe. A few magicians were hanging around after a gig at the Legion and were dropping nickels in the pinball machine. The regulars all just sat around and talked through the wee hours of the morning and then left to get home before the sun came up. When it was time for me to go home at 7 o'clock on Christmas morning, I hurried to the car. I was hoping the kids wouldn't wake up before I managed to get home and get the presents from the basement and place them under the tree. We had cut down a small cedar tree by the side of the road down by the dump. It was still dark and I couldn't see much but there appeared to be some dark shadows in the car or was that just a trick of the night? Something certainly looked different but it was hard to tell what.
When I reached the car, I peered wearily into one of the side windows. Then my jaw dropped in amazement. My old battered Chevy was filled full to the top with boxes of all shapes and sizes. I quickly opened the driver's seat door, scrambled inside, and kneeled in front, facing the back seat. Reaching back, I pulled off the lid of the top box. Inside was a whole case of little blue jeans, sizes 2 to 10. I looked inside another box. It was full of shirts to go with the jeans. Then I peeked inside some of the other boxes. There was candy, nuts, bananas, and a bag of groceries. There was an enormous ham for baking and canned vegetables and potatoes. There were pudding and jello and cookies, pie filling and flour. There was a whole bag of laundry supplies and cleaning items. And there were five toy trucks and one beautiful little doll. As I drove back through empty streets, as the sun slowly rose on the most amazing Christmas day of my life, I was sobbing with gratitude. And I will never forget the joy on the faces of my little ones that precious morning. Yes, there were angels in Indiana that long ago December, and they all hung out at the Big Wheel truck stop. So next, I'd like to play a song. This is by Tommy Walker and Hector Gabriel. And it's called Wait on the Lord. And here it is.
Hey, what a great song by Tommy Walker and Hector Gabriel. And you can c- connect with Tommy Walker Ministries at TommyWalkerMinistries.org. And also you can subscribe to his channel on YouTube. So I wanted to thank everybody for bearing with me. Again, I'm still not up to par, still have a leg infection. So I am going to end today's episode on an audio clip by Billy Graham uh, from a sermon he did in Louisville, Kentucky. It's about 16 minutes. And again, thank you for bearing with me today. And here's the audio clip. You've probably heard the old story of a man about to be released from prison who wrote his family up in New York State. He was in a prison in New York. They'd been there for a long time. And his family and he had very little contact, but one day he wrote them and told them that on a certain day he was going to be released from prison on parole. And the bus that he was going to take was going to take him by the old home place. And he said, if you will forgive me and welcome me as a son and as a family member, tie a yellow ribbon on that old oak tree in the front of the, uh, in the, in the front yard. Well, as he got on the bus, he shared with people on the bus what was happening. So they all became interested. And as they came closer to his old home place, they began to look out the window and began to talk and began to shout and wonder whether they'd ever see a yellow ribbon or not. But when he looked out the bus, he saw that the whole yard was covered with yellow ribbons. And many of the people whom he didn't know began to weep. The scripture says about this young man that he arose and came to his father. He arose. I'm going to ask you tonight to arise and come to Jesus. But then, that's not the main part of the story to me. The main part of the story is what the father is thinking and doing. All the time the son had been away, The father had been waiting, praying, longing to see his son. I heard a great sermon on television on this subject by Dr. Paul Osteen, who's both a surgeon and a clergyman. Dr. Osteen asked this question. If you had to describe God's greatest moment, what would that be? For example, Dr. Osteen asked, would you consider it to be his creation? He said, think a minute, our sun creates a gravitational system so powerful it holds the rest of the planets in their perfect and timely orbit around it. Our sun is so big that if it were hollow, it would hold one million planets as big as our Earth. Some stars are a hundred times bigger than our sun, and the closest star to us is more than five trillion miles away. Isaiah 40, 26 tells us, Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Think of all those millions and billions and trillions of stars and worlds, and God calls them all by name. He has the hairs of your head numbered. He knows all about you. God not only created 10 million trillion stars, he can call each of them by name. 
Or would you consider God's creation of man and woman to be his greatest moment? Dr. Osteen said that every time he did surgery and opened up a body and looked inside, there was a moment of mystery and awe because of the profound consistency of the human body, even down to the most minute detail. God is a great God. He has no beginning and he has no end, and there's none of us that can really understand him, except when he reveals himself to us. But there came a time when man rebelled against God. He had the ability of choice. He had the ability of free will. And in the Garden of Eden, man rebelled against God. God had said it should be this way, and they said, no, it's going to be this way. And that was the moment that the fellowship with God was broken by man. And from that moment on, the word sin came into the vocabulary of mankind. Man sinned against God. And Adam sinned, and he passed on the ability to sin to the next generation, to the next generation, down to you and me. So that we're all sinners. The Bible says we've all broken God's laws. Can you imagine that we're resisting the mighty God of heaven? In one cataclysmic moment, man fell out of relationship with God. He fell into sin and separation from him. We all know that something's wrong in the world. But we don't know how to make it right. But God did not leave us alone and trapped. God came to live with us. God was made visible in human flesh, according to 1 Timothy 3.16. And that human flesh was Jesus. When you look at Jesus, you see God. He is God. And he came for a special purpose. He came to rescue you and me from our sins and to give us a whole new life and to guarantee us that when we died we would go to heaven. God came to live with us. He was made visible through Christ. And that could be a picture of God at his best. But there's a greater moment still. There's the cross. Well, on that cross he hung. It wasn't just the physical sufferings of Jesus when they put the nails in his hands and the spear in his side. It was a spiritual suffering. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And in that moment, God had laid on him the sins of the whole world. Your sins and my sins were laid on Jesus. That is a great mystery. But the scripture teaches that. And it's the only way we'll ever be forgiven is by the way of the cross. He said, it is finished. And when he said that, there was an earthquake. The rocks split apart. And darkness covered the earth. And we see God in Jesus dying in sin at the hands of his own creation. Can you imagine that? He's doing it voluntarily because he loves you. God is a God of love. But Dr. Onstein pointed out a snapshot of God at perhaps his greatest moment, as illustrated in our story. 
we see this young man we've been talking about, his father. Every day since he had left home, the father had sat on the porch. I assume it's on a farm. And he had watched for the return of his son. He knew his son was going to come back someday. But he didn't know how long. And he watched for him. He had waiting for him a ring, a robe, new shoes, everything that the young man would want. And one day, he's been waiting there for weeks, maybe months. He looked down the road and saw what he thought to be a familiar figure. And the father ran to meet him. The father gathered up his robes. They don't do that in the, that Eastern world. A father would never gather up his robes. But this father did. And when he got to his, fa to his son, the father didn't ask him where all the money was. He didn't ask him all the women he had slept with. He didn't ask him if he had some sexually transmitted disease. He didn't ask him about all the sins he had committed. He didn't ask him to clean up or sober up or change his clothes. His father didn't judge him or condemn him. The Bible says that all the father did was to put his arm around his son and kiss him and kiss him and kiss him and kiss him. And between all those kisses, he was saying, welcome home, welcome home, welcome home. The father was not concerned about where the son had come from or what he had done. His interest was the fact that the son had come home. God is not willing to judge you and condemn you. He just takes off our tattered, sin-stained clothes and gives us his own robe of righteousness. And when we go before the judgment of God, we're clothed not in our own righteousness, which we have none. We're clothed in the righteousness that Jesus purchased for us on the cross. Because you see, Jesus rose from the dead, and he's alive. The debt has already been paid. Not because we deserve it, but because of what Christ has done for us through his death on the cross and by his resurrection. I'm not going to heaven because my name is Billy Graham or I've preached to a lot of people. Not at all. I'm going because of Jesus and what he did on that cross. But God is a God of judgment too. If we turn down and don't come home and find some other way, you'll be at the judgment. And it'll be a terrifying time for you. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's not concerned about where we've been as he is about where we're going. Where are you going? Are you sure that if you died at this moment you'd go to heaven? You can make sure tonight. He's waiting to receive you with mercy and love. The day will come when God will judge the world. But you won't be there.
if you know Christ. Today is a day of grace and salvation for all who will come. But beware of that attitude that many of us will have. Many people say, I know I'm on the wrong road, but I'm not tired of it yet. I'll repent and come back to God somewhere down the line. Not likely. You may not be able to repent because the further you travel the road away from God, the less you think you've done anything wrong and the less you think you need to repent. You must make a choice about Christ tonight. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you now. There's a little voice inside that tells you you need to make this commitment. You say, well, what do I have to do? You have to repent of your sins. You say, but I'm a member of the church. I've been baptized. I have Christian friends. I've been a pretty good person. But that's not enough. There must come a time when you open your heart and let Jesus in and let him become Lord and Master of your spirit and of your soul and of your body. Will you do that? You can do it tonight. And you can make sure. Some of you think that you're too bad to come to God. You've done too many bad things. You've gone too far away. If you feel a tug in your heart to come tonight, it's not too late. That's a sign that it's not too late. I'm going to ask you to do something that we've seen hundreds of people do in all over the world, thousands. I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat and come and stand here. And as you come, you're saying, I do want to change my way of living. I do want to please God. I do want to accept his love and his mercy. I want to know if I died, I'd go to heaven. Hey, what a great sermon by Billy Graham. And you know, I've learned a lot this last 20 days uh, since I got my leg infection. Usually it takes about three days and I'm over it and I'm on the mend. But this has taken 20 days, which has been testing my patience a lot. And I've had to uh, spend a lot of time with God. And again, like the name of this episode is Leave the Outcome to Him. And I've been praying that myself over my leg infection. Um, So still trying to get through it. Thanks for being patient with me. That does bring us to the end of our episode. And my closing prayer as always is that God blesses the journey on with him and that you embrace that path. Next week's episode, since this Saturday is going to be Christmas, is going to be about the greatest birth of all time, Jesus Christ. It's going to be about Christmas. So anyway, hope everybody had a great week. God bless, and we'll catch you next week.